see more innovation in packaging and processing at Pack Expo International than anywhere else in the world. It's the show that defines where the industry is headed, with the solutions that define where your business can go. Discover cutting-edge packaging technology, processing equipment, new materials, sustainable solutions, supply chain resources, and much, much more. You'll walk away with innovative solutions to challenges big and small. Register at PackExpoInternational.com. We interrupt our regular schedule of Unpacked with PMMI podcasts, as these are anything but regular times. Hi, I'm Sean Riley, and today I'm joined by Amcor Vice President Jim Keith. Jim leads global strategies related to safety, health, and environmental affairs for Amcor and its 35,000-plus global employees. As states in the U.S. and countries overseas begin to slowly reopen, Jim offers a global perspective on how Amcor continues to deal with the constantly evolving state of worldwide business. Hi, Jim, and thanks for joining us on the pod. Hi, thanks for having me. So we started this series in, it's probably been mid, late March, um, when companies were sort of scrambling to react to the whole COVID um, pandemic and and get a plan in place. And over the past, going on, I guess, two months, we've we've seen the answers evolve a bit as businesses have figured out what has worked, um, what hasn't worked, um, the differing, you know, the line keeps changing or was changing back then of, you know, how to keep everybody safe and in order to, but also still, you know, produce the product they wanted to produce. Um, Amcor has an interesting point of view because it's it's a global company. It has places around the world which have seen the effects of this at different times and in different phases. So I guess now that places around the world begin to reopen, this is a, a long way of me asking, what are the steps or strategies that Amcor's implementing, um, implemented, I guess, as, as this all started and now that things are starting, has evolved through and have started to open up a bit, what is Amcor doing to to kind of react to that and, and how are they planning going forward? Yeah, great question. Um, probably a few angles to the answer. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on two or three quickly. First, let me just say early on, uh, you know, this pandemic emerged very quickly and uh, a lot of uh, information and, and uh, perhaps gaps in data. And so early on, you know, there's a lot of gray area. One, one thing that we did very early that's, uh, that's proved valuable is to establish our response team uh, quickly. And these, these folks uh, that represent our business on the global response team um, are some of the leaders from each business. And by just simply coming together early, we're able to establish a few, I think, focus areas for the entire effort. You know, every pandemic's different. This one certainly is different. And one thing that early team coming together does is helps us set goals early. We certainly had three very early that we maintained throughout. Very simple goals, but I think they uh, they drive the right outcomes. The first is just knowing that the health and safety of our people is an imperative, won't be compromised. Uh, another is keeping the business running certainly is critical to continuing to provide products, and particularly in, in pharmaceutical and medical, uh, to customers and, and consumers that need it. And then uh, and the third is is really, I think, more overarching to realize we have an obligation in the communities we work to contribute to those communities. So th- those three overriding goals exist around our effort. And beneath that, you know, we've certainly got a lot of details in play. A lot of site protocols is, is an example, as well as global protocols on travel and, and so forth. 
when you overlay this picture, you know, we've, we established this team early. We've got a great management team working this. We've engaged the entire population in this, obviously, and certainly have global travel guidance and hotspots identified. And finally, you know, at the site level, we've got several protocols that align with CDC and WHO, and we enact those daily. Those, uh, those are really fundamental to the day-to-day challenges that we face. So I, I, you know, in short, three essential levels of, uh, of effort that we've put in and we continue to manage. Interesting. Okay, then we'll probably dive into them a little bit deeper with um, some of my follow-up. So you've touched on it a bit, but is there, a, you mentioned a universal plan that kind of goes across all plants. Is How does that differ state by state, I guess, in the US, because we have kind of handled it state by state versus federally versus how it's handled in your plants in other countries where they might have more country mandates um, how have you navigated these different evolving local guidelines? Yeah, another great question here. This has been particularly an interesting challenge with this pandemic. Uh, I'll start globally. Co- you know, company-wide, our response team um, provides the general framework we operate within. And this framework includes guidance on things like travel, uh, whether it's international, whether it's in-country. We also keep an eye on the geographical risk areas, hotspots, if you will. Um, and so that sort of global approach covers the more, I think, basic uh, necessities related to this pandemic. When you get to a regional or country level, as you mentioned, we've got six business groups across the company. These are you know, otherwise known as divisions. And each of these business groups has its own respective response team. And those teams guide their organizations on more business-specific or geography-specific matters. So their, their team structures can vary, but... Some of these businesses do have a global footprint, and some of these businesses are more localized, like North America or Latin America, for example. And so those business groups essentially manage in-country sorts of, uh, of challenges. So in addition to the, I think, global protocols, you know, we've mentioned we've also got site protocols to manage specific risks in the business. And so these, these business teams also do a heat mapping process, which monitors you know, external case dynamics internal case dynamics, regulatory developments, and so forth. And those, those heat mapping processes really enable our businesses to make proper risk-based decisions every day. I'll, I'll note one of the interesting challenges here uh, has been related to the wearing of masks in the workplace. And, uh, and uh, the dynamics around masks, as you probably know, have shifted a bit in this pandemic. Uh, the purpose of these masks varies greatly. And without getting too technical here, we've accommodated both voluntary as well as mandatory use of these masks in the workplace, which presents a whole new series of challenges. But masks has certainly been an interesting dynamic in this pandemic. Um, and, and just one more comment here. Like, I think like most companies, our sites uh, can be small, they can be large, We've got a variety of employee population sizes, uh, ranging from dozens of people to thousands of people in our locations. So for us, it's really important that the practices we enact are practical enough to be managed locally by a diverse group of people and also comprehensive enough to minimize the risks of infection in the workplace. Okay, that's fair. Now, just to go a little bit deeper on that, then you've talked about the masks a little bit in in plants and, and offices. You say that, you know, voluntary, involuntary. Is there places in the world or, or situations where 
it's it's mandatory and you guys had to put a plan in place because again you're working in in plants where people might already be wearing masks depending on their job that they're doing on the plant floor is there other situations where areas may have put in mandatory everyone has to wear a mask type rules and you guys had to accommodate that for people that weren't on the plant floor um could you talk a little bit more i guess about how you know specific and deep that went yeah, of course. Uh, and you've zeroed in on one of the one of the challenges we've encountered. Yeah, to your first point, several authorities, depending on the region that you're in, have certainly mandated the use of masks both in public as well as in the workplace. And this dynamic is new in a lot of areas. It is certainly in the United States as well as other countries. And in meeting that challenge, of course, the heat map process helps, meaning that our business group teams are constantly assessing these changes with what the local authorities mandate. And so part of that has been masks and the teams have, been, have, have done a really nice job managing that shifting dynamic. In, in the workplace, as, as you noted, we, we do have operations that have traditionally required certain kinds of masks, particularly when we handle chemicals and, and, and that sort of uh, workplace risk. But for the most part, our workplace is respirator free and mask free. And so this situation has, you know, underscored a new challenge, and that is how do we quickly and accurately begin to implement the use of masks in the workplace for people that are not accustomed to wearing them? And so this has been quite a shifting dynamic. In different areas where we see mandates, we've jumped on this, we've begun to provide these masks to our people, and we've also gone a step further and dedicated um, some of our operations to producing these masks to be able to supply both internally and externally. So th this has been a really interesting space for us. And uh, we feel good about being able not only to provide masks on a mandatory basis, but also on a voluntary use basis. So to go one step further, even though a local authority may not mandate masks in the workplace, uh, we certainly allow for voluntary use because we realize the anxiety around this event is so high. We realize that this use of masks might be for comfort, peace of mind. Uh, and we're okay with that. We, we want to be sure that our people feel good about the effort, and we want to make sure that they feel safe and secure in the workplace. The voluntary use of masks is accommodated as well. Very good. So then what's the policy when, you know, an employee eventually or is found to have symptoms or tests positive for COVID? How have you guys handled that? You know, does that vary region by region? Is this something that you implement as kind of an AMCOR policy? How have you guys handled something like that? Yeah, the the uh, first thing to point out is that we, you know, I personally collaborate with a lot of uh, other health and safety leads in large multinational companies routinely. And so that sharing process helps us sort of calibrate how industry is handling these cases. So first and foremost, we have put out protocols, as I mentioned, and a subset of those protocols addresses handling these cases. For example, on, on a confirmed case, uh, our, our protocol is, is pretty precise, and it certainly accounts for CDC and WHO guidance. But to be specific, where we discover a confirmed case, first, the employee is isolated, informed, and, and protected from the workforce, and asked to seek medical evaluation before self-isolation. So that, that's first step, is just securing the health of that employee as well as affected employees. We, we also immediately perform a contact tracing exercise at that location, uh, which helps us find contacts in the workplace and any affected individuals. If we do identify individuals that have been in contact, we put them on self-quarantine for at least 14 days. We also enact an, uh, sort of an immediate on-demand deep cleaning and disinfection in the work area. This is sort of precautionary, um, but <clears throat> each case we want to be sure that we're, uh, we're cleaning and disinfecting to prevent 
any potential for um, you know transmission on on surfaces and so forth. Um, and then you know underscoring all of this, I think, is an excellent effort around all employee communications. As, as I mentioned a few moments ago, I think the anxiety around this pandemic is so high and so unusual that we found that it's pervasive in the workplace, and it's you know extremely important to offset that anxiety with reliable all employee communications. And that, of course, keeps everyone in the loop on what we discover and how we address it. Yeah, communications is run throughout these podcasts we've done, um, where it, it just becomes the the number one thing that uh, more than anything, I feel is, is kind of reassured um, employees that the, the companies kind of have their interests at heart by, by constantly updating them on measures that they're putting in place. And the contract tracing was you're one of the first that really specified that that's something you guys do to make sure that you're you're getting everyone that's been in contact with someone that may have had it and and making sure that they're they're healthy and if not you know giving them the opportunity to quarantine and things like that so that's that's great to hear um i guess uh, how about like, again some things are opening up now countries are opening up that have been shut down um some states by state here in the US how are you guys handling that um, from a traveling to customer facilities um, point of view, are people traveling to them still? I know some people are letting salespeople in, some companies aren't. Are you doing a more remote monitoring type situations? Um, how do you handle the person that is traveling? I guess that's a bunch of different things, but maybe you could talk to that a bit. So first, I'll, I'll mention that early in the pandemic in February, March, as this uh, this infection spread, there, there were certainly areas geographically that were identified as high risk areas. And early stages, we quickly uh, established sort of hotspots, risk areas, and provided travel guidance, both internationally and in-country. So that, that helped early to set the stage for where we will and won't travel. And we continue to monitor that throughout. So that, that began early. These days, as you mentioned, Many communities are reopening. And the interesting dynamic here to me is that the external cases in many of these communities that are reopening continue to increase and and rise. And so there's an interesting dynamic there to me in that we may have externally more cases and increased risk of threat internally, whereas, you know, the communities are still opening. And so in one respect, although they are opening, this presents heightened sense of risk inside our plants. So we're actually um, reinforcing our protocols now more than ever in plant. When we have to leave our locations and travel, um, to be specific here, um, we've, we've limited travel to hotspots and high-risk areas, first and foremost. But at the present time, there's a, there's a need to get out, particularly where we have service technicians and product support or where we have commercial teams that need to get to key customers. These are the sorts of uh, travel uh, that we see right now emerging. And in order to accommodate that, we're shifting a bit from a more localized plant protocol structure, meaning, hey, what, what is the customer's protocol for a visit? We've now uh, begun to enact travel protocols. And as we begin to open up, these sorts of guidelines will apply to anyone who gets out and travels. And of course, any travel approval is done by uh, a member of the management team in the business. And it's based on those heat map risk assessments that I mentioned early. So we, we do have quite a robust process around assessing the need for the visit, the protocol during visit, and then also when we get to a site, what is the protocol at that site, whether it's a customer or other. I really, the thing that, that jumped out at me that I, I love to hear that you're, and it's kind of an important thing to note is that 
you you are proactively it's not everything's opening up you know doors fly open everything's fine like you're you're I, i like the idea that you guys are well aware that you know with the with everything kind of opening up a bit it does raise the risk again and you've taken that into consideration and that's that's wonderful to hear that you guys are thinking about that um for you know your employees and your customers and your companies and that's that's reassuring um this one is i mean it's a little bit off the 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 topics that we're talking about, but it's it's something out of curiosity, um, I guess, on my end, is that Amcor is, has kind of always been vocal about um, its pledge to be to develop recyclable or reusable packaging by 2025. Um, this is something that you know the industry is kind of aware of. And one thing that I've noticed um, being in this industry is that COVID-19 is and this pandemic has kind of put sustainability on the back burner. Um, People have not really been worried about single use and things like that um, because they've they've not wanted to reuse things that that may have come in contact with other things. And there's an increase in online shopping, um, which is creating more packaging, which in turn is creating more um, garbage, stuff like that. And I'm just curious if if all this has adjusted Amcor's timeline at all for, you know, trying to be so sustainable by a certain date or you know, is this something you guys have noticed? Um, I, I, I feel like you kind of know where I'm, what I'm asking. Um, is this something that, that you guys are also aware of and how are you adapting to it? Yeah, this is uh, this is an important, important question and an important effort for us. We, we certainly remain focused on uh, at the moment, uh, helping our customers meet their increased consumer demand as an essential business. Our work is really important right now to continue provision of those products, particularly in the medical and the food space. Our long-term sustainability agenda is unimpeded. It it continues to progress with pace. Our overall timeline has not changed, and we continue to be committed to the 2025 sustainability goals that we we publish. Uh, We've got about a 1,000 colleagues in our R&D group, and these folks are being extremely resilient right now in, in working together in the face of this challenge. Um, and our commitment today is better than ever when it comes to packaging solutions, especially heading into 2025. So again, we're we're moving this along at pace, and I see no reason to uh, to feel um, that we won't achieve our 2025 objectives. Awesome. This is this is um, this has been great. This is it went a little longer than I than we probably told you it was going to, but the conversation was going well. So um, I, I appreciate that. Um, and we appreciate that on our end that that you were willing to take this time to to kind of fill us in on everything that's going on with Amcor, Jim. That's my pleasure, and thanks again for having me.